Good morning. You might be turning in your Bibles to Acts the 16th chapter as we'll be looking, Lord willing, in our lesson today to two household conversions. We've been in a series for some time now studying the different conversions throughout the book of Acts, starting in Acts 2, the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ, and moving forward to um, those that... Uh, obeyed the gospel in the various chapters leading up to this and we have had one household conversion before if you recall in Acts 10 and 11 with the household of Cornelius the first Gentile converts that were added to the saved in New Testament Christianity and uh, we thank you for being here today and for those who might be listening by way of the website and we invite your attention to the Word of God and not my words, but making sure that the things that are taught are found within the pages of an open Bible, that which is indeed the Word of God, the truth that is able to save our souls. Please follow along, if you will, as we will be looking at the conversion of Lydia and her household and the Philippian jailer and his household. The other two uh, household conversions, not to say that these were the only three uh, in the book of Acts. Be reading from the New King James for the most part today. Verse 1 beginning. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So they're on a preaching tour now. And notice that they're going to have a door that's being opened in another area of the world that they had not been in before. Now when they had gone through, verse 6, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And they had come to Mysia and tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. I'll stop there to point out that God is leading this preaching tour into areas that God sees best. We're not necessarily given the reasons why for this or from, for several other things that are in the Bible. But we are given reasons from time to time. And that is in the wisdom of God. So it's not for us to necessarily question it. We may wonder about it. We may check other scriptures to see if there are other things that relate to the matter. 
with regard to our curiosity or what the Bible might hold in that regard. But here is a door that is being opened and some wonderful things are going to happen in the kingdom. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will come about because of, notice, the preaching of the gospel, the good news, which includes the death, burial, and resurrection of not just Jesus of Nazareth, but the one who is the Christ. The blessings that would come from the seed of Abraham, as studied in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. So notice now, they're called to preach the gospel to them. This may not be stated in the whole rest of the chapter, but there will be some preaching of the gospel that's inferred. We have to discern this, but let's notice what is said there. Verse 11, picking up. Verse 13, On the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So there's the preaching of the gospel, even though that explicitly is not stated in that verse. We know that's what's taking place because of what's been mentioned before, don't we? And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs, which are not lawful for us being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Still in Philippi now. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before God and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. Notice the next verse. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. There's an interesting segment of scripture that follows. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. There she is again. We've circled back around to Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So we have a case of conversion of a household. The main stay person in both cases, the Philippian jailer and Lydia, uh, are the named uh, individuals or the specified individuals, as I don't have the name for you of the Philippian jailer. But uh, there are other conversions of a household, like, for example, in Acts 18.8 with Crispus, uh, and his household in the aforementioned Cornelius in chapter 10 and 11. But there are some questions that arise concerning the matter of what were they told with regard to uh, the preaching of the gospel. And we've looked at some in-depth, almost uh, lengthy sermons with regard to what we have in Acts 2 that makes a very good read as far as confirming the fact that there were prophecies and the Jesus of Nazareth that was in their day that had been crucified, the Lord had raised up the third day, and he was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, and that the, the Jews were wrong in so doing. But it was necessary that they could have salvation, and it would be time for the new covenant to be issued in and that there were prophecies like this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel and then it goes to speak of in the last days there would be the spirit that would be poured out upon all flesh which means all nationalities and this would include the Gentiles we're up in that area of the world now in this text in Acts 16 the gospel is going forth after Cornelius, of course, being the first known Gentile converts, is going to go into all the world, as that's what the Great Commission said, even though the folks were being led by the Spirit as to where they would go when during these days of miraculous times by the wisdom of God. God's providence being evident in many cases, uh, and things such as Paul being able to get to Rome and know and have a, a great assurance of faith that he was not going to die, or if he died, he would be resurrected. He knew he was going to make it all the way back up uh, once the Lord told him that his time was not going to come uh, until at least that time. So when we think about looking back at the verses that pertain to um, Lydia, we'll not sp 
speak much of Thyatira, but if you look at the seven churches of Asia, I think one of those is to the church at Thyatira. We've got this matter of um, a seller of purple dye, which was supposedly one of, if not the most expensive um, dyes in that time. Uh, and so it is assumed by some that, uh, as a matter of curiosity, that she was a very wealthy businesswoman. And uh, she certainly had a house uh, or dwelling that was large enough to accommodate uh, the traveling party that was uh, named. We believe that it would be uh, Paul and it would include Timothy and certainly others. And so that is a relative indicator that um, she's got either some contacts that allow her to use that home, uh, but she's very godly in the fact that she worships God and, and uh, rivals Cornelius in my mind as the fact that she's very devoted even though she's not a Christian. And one of the main lessons that we can take both from Cornelius and from Lydia is that here are people that we would think, well, they'd make a good Christian. Well, anybody would if they'll convert to Christ because in the repentance of sins, there will be a change that's going on. And Cornelius had to make a change. Cornelius had to make a change to, an, uh, to a correct manner of worship to God. And Lydia was going to adjust her worship unto God to conform to New Testament Christianity, if I can use that term, uh, to celebrate the fact that we have the gospel and we have that which is the new covenant and it gives us all things that pertain to godliness and it's complete and it's not lacking with regard to a data set of information for how we are to live and to please God, to include the work and worship of the local church. What a wonderful thing it is that we have these examples before us to strengthen our faith. But there can be people who are the most ungodly that we can think of, the most sinful that we can think of, that if they go through a true conversion, the blood of Jesus, uh, just as much if even more, erases the sin in their lives. And they are pure and clean and justified. They don't have to go back through the laundry over and over like we might do our clothes until we can get the spots out. Or we've still got a stain that's just not going to be removed, so we're just, well, you just have to live with that. Or, no, that's not the way it is with the blood of Christ. We are totally cleansed, and we need to believe that. We need to believe that to the point that we don't carry as much baggage with us as we might be doing because it can be a hindrance to us. Oh, Paul even looked back and said he was chief of sinners and that he did many things contrary to the Lord's cause until he learned better. But we also know that in his case, Acts 23:1, he was living by a conscience of a godly Jew and before Christ died on the cross. Uh, we don't read of anything of him getting in and making a disturbance of, of Christ's uh, sermons and opportunities to preach. Maybe he did that, but guess what? He was forgiven of every sin that he had in his life, just like all of us are when we truly obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She was willing to heed the things that are spoken of by Paul, and we want to go back and we want to revisit some had the mistaken idea that there was something special, a direct operation of the Holy Spirit that was put upon her 
in her obedience to the gospel. No, there might be a, a several things that brought the gospel to her and for the gospel to be proclaimed to her. But what she did in accepting or rejecting the will of God was her own free will as it is in our case today. When we go back up in uh, the text and we look again to the coming and the preaching of the word of God, we get down in verse 14 again. A certain woman named Lydia heard us, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. There's no indication it's the wrong God. No indication with Cornelius it was the wrong God. But she wasn't worshipping as a New Testament Christian, was she? She needed to become one in order to begin a new life as a babe in Christ. In order to be born of the water and of the Spirit, John 3 to be joined or born again. The text uses this phrase, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. In the other cases of conversion, almost in every case, we read where the people heard the word of God and they believed it and they obeyed it. All right? I don't believe this becomes an exception to the rule of voluntarily obeying the gospel. I believe it's another way at this point in my study, and I welcome your thoughts, but it's not germane to the fact of how we're to be saved because we're not going to have a direct operation on us with regard to uh, the proclamation that's been finished and we have it in the written word. It's going to be spoken by uninspired men teaching the inspired word of God or uninspired women teaching correctly the uninspired word. There's much teaching for us all to do within our proper roles and as God has laid forth in the new covenant. But this Lord opening her heart to heed the things spoken to Paul, by Paul, are like unto the word was preached and it pricked their heart. All right? The word could have that effect, but it didn't have that effect on the day of Pentecost with everybody in the audience, or everybody would have responded, right? So there's an opportunity when the gospel is presented to someone to have their heart open and receptive to it. And it may be they're sitting there in the most closed posture, body language, with their arms folded in their mind and saying, I'll sit here to the end, but I'm not coming back on this. But I'm going to listen. And they listen, and the word penetrates. And then it starts, though it doesn't have to make sense to us, but it does make sense. There is much that's in the Word of God that we are to understand that makes perfect sense, that builds the bedrock of our faith with foundational things like prophecies hundreds of years before that are complex and have multiple details to them. It's not like, oh, there'll be a hurricane uh, sometime it'll hit the east coast of, of America. That's a pretty generic uh, forecast, isn't it? Probably going to be true most seasons of a hurricane. And if you say one every five years it's going to hit the east coast, is that really something that's going to impress you? But when it's a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name 
Jesus, and he's going to save the people from their sins, and you're going to get names of cities and things happening, and hundreds of years later, these things are happening just as they were forecast. It's something that we can have as an assurance to have a bedrock of faith that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ. And the ultimate, if you will, the resurrection, a true death, not a, a swooning or a fainting on the cross, but a true death and a true resurrection, as 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, points out. When we look at verse 14 and 15 together, I'm going to read them this time without stopping. And notice as we're thinking about her hearing the word of God and then obeying the word of God. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard of us. Okay, she's listening so they must be speaking, right? She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things, here it is again, spoken by Paul. Paul is the speaker with Lydia on this occasion, at this part of their interactions together. And when she and her household were baptized, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Okay, so she's receptive to it. But she's listening to the details that Paul's giving. And it's the gospel. All right, he's going into all the world to preach the gospel as the Great Commission was given. He wasn't there with Peter when the commission was given, but he became a part of it the very moment he was baptized into Christ. Because what the Great Commission does is it gets on down to you and to me in whatever chance we have as the ability and the opportunity gives us the responsibility, teaching them, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, which was go, make disciples, teach, baptize, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, the baptized, to do the very same thing as they have their roles in Christ Jesus and abilities. So she's listening to words that Paul had said, and then we've got the phrase, she's being baptized. Does that mean that the words are not important? No, the words are the gospel. They're very important. But we don't have to have everything that was mentioned in his sermon to her and the household that's there to know that they heard the gospel of Christ and they were receptive to it. Could you say they were pricked in their hearts or they were motivated in their hearts because of listening to the gospel? Yes. Does the Lord give the gospel? Absolutely. He's the originator of it. So I don't believe that there was a direct operation of the Holy Spirit to put it in her heart that she had to become a Christian against her free will. But it, I believe it very much was the case that she heard the word, had her own free will, and that word from the Lord opened her heart. And she was willing to obey along with those that were in her household. Consider that and I welcome uh, thoughts to the contrary in personal uh, study that we might be able to have. But let's jump real quick over to um, we get to the Philippian jailer. 
And once again, we're not given as much detail as we might uh, like to have or to be curious. But we're not given a long uh, section of Scripture that runs so true like Acts 2 when we hear Peter standing up and where he starts off with the Jews and where he takes them. But there were Gentiles, I'm convinced, that are like Cornelius and like Lydia that were anticipating the day when the prophecies, when the door would be open to all nations, that through the seed of Abraham, all nations, not all tribes of Israel, and they were, they were glad to receive the gospel because they'd been on the outside, if you will, as admirers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rahab was such an admirer, wasn't she? She knew whose side was going to win before the walls came down. She wanted to be saved. But she wasn't born a Jew by birth. So there were those that were proselytes, and there were those that were outside that were admirers and friends, if you will, to the Jews. In our study of Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther, we're finding even the ruler Cyrus was friendly toward the cause that Esther and um, Mordecai, uh, what a valuable position it is to have a, a cupbearer, have someone in such a position as Nehemiah was in as well. And that takes a lot of trust. And we think of those that were friends of Daniel and recognize there are all these little g-gods that are out there in idolatry. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I think the term is used in Daniel, check it, the God that Daniel serves, or the God of Daniel that he serves, is mightier and worthy of consideration with things like a fiery furnace and what would be the end result. So, Paul and Silas are not moping about, but though they're confined physically to a geographical location, which is in the inner portion of a prison, so they've got other prisoners that are around, they're praying and singing spiritual songs, which is evidence that they're not going to be slowed down. Paul is quite crafty in that he knows his rights as a Roman citizen, and somebody made the big uh-oh on more than one occasion to not check it out before they got themselves in between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. And then they just want to shoo them along. And uh, let's just forget about this, will you? Um, because they knew they had made a mistake. Most importantly, it's the opportunity that is not the most likely of opportunities that I like about this, that we might be sitting in a doctor's office, or we might be on a ski lift and, and enter around Denver, Colorado, and someone brings something up, and they brought the term that was religious possibly up, and we're able to follow up on that, and who knows if email might be exchanged and, and some study might take place. Or can I get someone from this area, though I don't live from here, uh, who's of like faith that would be more than happy to talk? Whatever the case may be, as to the opportunities to spread the seed as we were singing about evangelism, and I appreciate so much 
Reagan picking those songs that they might go along with the lesson. It's midnight. What were you doing last night around midnight? The night before, the night before. Unless you work on the shift work, okay, you're most probably taking some very sound sleep. Needed rest at that time. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were doing this. And the prisoners were listening. What else did they have to do? They truly had, pun intended, the captive audience, didn't they? And good came out of it because souls were saved. The right thing was done by the Christians in that circumstance. How did they know that he was going to obey the gospel? They didn't. As this scene plays out, it could have gone a lot of different ways than just a planned suicide on the, on the part of the Philippian jailer. And then the fact that an entire household, not just the Philippian jailer himself, but his household. But let's look at the order of some things so that we don't misunderstand as some of our friends do, and then we'll bring our lesson to a close. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, the Philippian jailer did in verse 29. And let's pay attention to 30 and 31 and 32 in sequential order. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he's got an open heart. He's impressed by everything that's happened so far. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And that was it? Well, they said a prayer? No. What needs to happen that matches the pattern of what we've seen in other conversions? Just to tell them to believe? It says, then they spoke the word of the Lord. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 and other passages says, faith, believe, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when they ask the question, they get the right answer. He didn't have to say we're going to confess or we're going to repent or we're going to be baptized. He's going to teach them everything they need to know in preaching the gospel to them after he says what they've got to do. You've got to believe on Jesus Christ. And then it's like, tell me more. We've got to proceed so I can hear it. Well, he, he had to get the green light because the guy didn't shut him down, did he? And so he proceeded... In verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. That's the preaching of the gospel. That's when they're going to hear about baptism in this case. And repentance. And confessing. And what they're supposed to believe with regard to Christ. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately or straightway he and all his family were baptized. So it wasn't a case in these New Testament conversions that we've seen that, okay, you get up to a point and, uh, okay, we'll get back with you on baptism. We'll, we'll check in in a month or two and we're going to save up and we'll just have a big time because we'll have several people like you who uh, want and need to be baptized, um, but we're going to wait. We get the indication that it's just as important as everything else. That it's part of God's word that needs to be obeyed urgently. That it is part of God's plan, the gospel plan of salvation. And we know as Galatians 3.26 and 27 state, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus for 
Reason being, as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Yes, it's part of the gospel. We don't separate baptism for the remission of sins from the gospel. Acts 2.38 was part of what was told to the people when their hearts were pricked, and some of their hearts. And they said, what, what can we do? And he said to repent and be baptized. And then it says, with many other wor or the words, some preaching went on, if you'll look in the Acts 2 record. And then they were baptized. So many that day and added, as the Lord adds daily to the church. Once again, there would be uh, another thought that we'll not take time now on. We'll try to get... We did it on the front end of Cornelius, and we'll try to do it again on Christmas household, if you will. That household baptisms had to include infants, and uh, therefore babies need to be baptized. The younger, the better. So think about that and how uh, the Bible treats that. You could go back and listen to the lessons if you want to online that particularly deal with the household of Cornelius, and I believe that's... Uh, the one that we talked about before in treating that subject. And we'll make a note to try to do so in, in the case of Christmas in Acts 18.8. God hasn't left us lacking. And we have so much to be thankful for that we have these conversions. Though they vary in certain details, they also are similar in various ways. There's a chart that some of you have seen and looked at before. And it divides some of the responsibilities, the active verbs that are necessary, like hear the gospel, believe the gospel, repent of your sins, confess Jesus Christ, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. The baptism of the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that was all through the book of Acts, not to include the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of suffering, baptism of Moses, uh, the baptism of fire. Uh, those are different baptisms that we could study at another time. But rather, that which puts one into Christ, that God applies the blood of Jesus Christ because we're being buried with Christ in that baptism. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should rise to walk in newness of life. And then, we do like uh, other books are talking about. Live the life of a Christian like we were studying in the earlier hour. I'll put in a small plug uh, now for that time period. But if you can come, come to the front, get you a book after service. And we're studying in First Peter and we're just getting started. So what a better time if, if you haven't been coming to consider coming and being with us and studying richly what we have after we're in Christ, if you're already in Christ. If you will, get your songbooks. We want to think about this time that we customarily have, but we've had a few baptisms recently. And I dare say that any of them were necessarily at this opportune time that we're about to have where we'll sing a song of encouragement and invitation because the invitation is always open. And so, you think back if you've been baptized as to maybe it wasn't at the end of a service on a Sunday or a Wednesday or during a gospel meeting. Maybe it was on a Saturday afternoon. Or maybe it was on a Sunday afternoon after services had concluded. 
uh, or another day of the week. Anytime is the right time. It's not just to be done at service time. The invitation is always open and welcome for all. The question is, are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you're subject to the invitation, or if you'd like to study more about it, we stand ready and willing to assist. If you will, and it's convenient, and you have a need, or prayers of the saints, please come forward while together we stand and sing the song.